0: if you'd take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 14 through 16. When we open God's Word and hear it read, God is speaking to us. These are the very words of the living God. Listen to Him. Romans 15, verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren... I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering. As a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come and we acknowledge that you are God and we are not. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We would be without wisdom, without direction, and without protection if it wasn't for your word. We thank you for these words and pray that you would penetrate our hearts with a burden for the nations, that Lord, we would advance the gospel in hard places during hard times because you are a God who is above and over all. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, today we're starting this day and this whole month our World Outreach Celebration. So uh, I hope you picked up one of these as you came in. This tells you about uh, what we're doing this month. Our theme is Creative Access. As you can see by the posters, persevering to advance the gospel in hard places. And if you turn it over, you can see the schedule. It's also on the website, and uh, you can see what's going on. But here's what's important. I want you to realize that for we have different things going on. On Sunday nights, two different impact nights, and Saturday, you need to register online so that we can plan and prepare for social distancing. We want you to be able to be there, be safe, interact with our missionaries, but you need to register online and also sign up to serve. There's sign-ups at the back. We have uh, opportunities in both the nursery and to our kids' celebration And so let me encourage you to do that as well. I'm excited about who we have coming. You can see them here. And uh, you will not want to miss out on the rest of this month. So this morning, I can already tell that I'm going to be dipping into this quite a few times. You wake up in the morning and you just know. So here we go. This morning, here's what I want us to focus on. Partnering to advance the gospel message. And let's begin with this truth. Advancing the gospel in hard places during hard times requires creative access. And each couple that will be with us this month uh, has firsthand experience in reaching the unreached in creative ways that is gospel-centered and Christ-exalting. But let's, 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 let's admit, advancing the gospel in hard places is anything new. In fact, advancing the gospel will always involve going to hard places during hard times. This is true of all Christ followers. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter who you are. In fact, Paul made it a practice to encourage new believers and baby churches with these words from Acts 14, 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. How's that for some encouragement? Here, let me encourage you. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul knew a thing or two about advancing the gospel in hard places during hard times. And he did it with creativity and gospel centrality. His letters are filled with what he endured and how he was persecuted for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of God's elect. But for this year's World Outreach Celebration we're going to work our way through Romans 15 through 16. And these next two weeks, this week and next, we're going to look at advancing the gospel in hard places. Then our guests are going to come in, they'll preach. And then after that, we're going to look at advancing the gospel during hard times. I think we can all admit 2020 is some hard times, at least for us. Now, by way of introduction to the book in general... I want to suggest three reasons to you this morning why Romans 15 through 16 will prepare our hearts. Since we're diving into the end of the book, I want to give you a little overview of Romans. And here's why this is going to encourage you and prepare us. Romans exalts the majesty of God and His gospel. The major theme of the book of Romans is laid out for us by Paul in Romans 1, 16 through 17. Listen to his words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That covers all peoples, for in it. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Listen, the gospel is good news because we don't get a little faith and then work harder to get to heaven. It's from faith to faith all the way. The righteous shall live by faith. Realize that the one noun Paul uses more than any other in the book of Romans is God. It shows up 153 times, once for every 46 words. That's more frequent than any other book there in the New Testament, uh, comparative to the length of Romans. God is the subject around whom the entire epistle revolves. In fact, you can outline the entire book around God and His gospel, the first five chapters. The gospel is God's work in us. The lost are justified by grace through faith in the Son of God. And then chapter 6 through 8 is the gospel, is God's work in us. We are sanctified, the saved are sanctified by the Spirit of God indwelling us. And then in Romans 9 through 11, the gospel is God's work over us. Both Jew and Gentile will be glorified together by the sovereign mercy Of God the Father. And then 12 through 16, the section that we're in, transitions and it says the gospel is God's work through us to others. We are a church of living sacrifices, gifted and united as one body to advance the mission of the gospel to the unreached. And so the majesty of God and his gospel are exalted in this book. But there's a second reason. Romans will incur, encourages the maturity of the church. It not only exalts the majesty of God, but this book encourages the maturity of the church. Now, many of you, maybe some of you know, that Paul wrote 13 New Testament letters. And nearly half of them were written on his first three missionary journeys. Listen, Paul's letters just exude with missions and passion for the nations. He wrote them as he was on mission. And those six letters that are written in, in, on those three missionary journeys, here's how I remember them. The first missionary journey, there was one letter written, Galatians. The second missionary journey, there were two letters written, First and Second Thessalonians. Third missionary journey, there were three books written, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and our book, Romans. And I call these letters Paul's maturity letters because they lay a foundation for the maturity of individual disciples and entire local churches. And Romans is the capstone of these maturity letters. In fact, I like to say you know a church is mature when you can teach through Romans all the way without skipping chapters and it doesn't split the church. You can even get into those chapters in 9 through 11. Listen, Romans encourages the maturity of the church. You see, Romans is not just for the super elite. It's not just for the scholar. It's not just for the theologian. Romans explains the basics of the gospel for every believer in every church. Listen, sometimes we think the gospel is the ABCs of the Christian life. You know, you get the gospel when you're saved, and then you move on to the deep things of God. But I want to tell you, the gospel is the deep things of God. The gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to the Zs of the Christian life. You don't grow out of the gospel. The gospel grows you into Christ-likeness. And Paul begins and ends this book with the mature response to the gospel. He calls it the obedience of faith. Or you could say an obedient faith is the mature response to the gospel. Listen, Paul wrote this letter filled with the gospel to the church at Rome, not because they were unsaved. Oh, you need the gospel, you're unsaved. Not because they were immature. Oh, you need the gospel because you're immature. No, he wrote it because they were a mature, established local church. Listen, the gospel not only saves the lost, but it grows the saved. Amen? And the third reason why this letter and these chapters is going to prepare our hearts is because Romans engages the mission to the unreached. It engages the mission to the unreached. I love this. Romans is literally a missionary letter. It's a letter from a missionary, Paul, to a local church in Rome, asking them to partner with him in advancing the gospel to hard places. And in this case, it was the 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 country of of Spain in the farthest most western region of the empire that was like falling off a cliff you know that was the edge of the world those people were barbaric and they spoke different languages they babbled that was the unknown and the unreached and paul is presenting himself in this letter as a missionary Presenting himself to take me on for support. In fact, in this letter, you find the three criteria we use to evaluate missionaries. Paul presents himself as the missionary. A man of integrity in word and deed in verse 18. He presents his ministry. He's an apostle to the target group, the Gentiles. Mentioned in chapter 1, chapter 11, and here in chapter 15. And then he presents... His mission field. Same criteria that we use. He's going to Spain. And then he teaches them in this book the eight practices of a world changer. We talk about that here at LifeBridge, and we learned some of these things when we went through the perspectives course. But as we go through this book, we're going to see these eight practices and how they relate. But ultimately, here's what I want you to see is that God's mission to advance the gospel frames this book. He talks about it in Romans 1. He comes back to it in Romans 15 and 16. And in the middle of this mission sandwich, he explains and expounds and exhorts the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that? Because the heart of missions is the gospel. And the gospel fuels missions. In fact, if you have the gospel without missions in your heart, that's pointless. And if you go on missions without the gospel, well, that's meaningless. That's that's powerless. You're not going to accomplish the life-changing things that God wants to do. Here's what I want you to see. Paul's purpose in Romans is missional. It's to encourage the church at Rome to partner with him in advancing the gospel in hard places during hard times. Here's what I want you to get. The gospel not only saves the lost, grows the saved, but it reaches the unreached. So for the time that remains, I want us to focus on verses 14 through 16. And I want us to see two essentials. For advancing the gospel message in hard places. Two essentials. This is where Paul begins. And this is what Paul wants them to see. And here's, I'll just give it to you right up front. Unite around the gospel message to partner on the gospel mission. You must unite around the gospel message to partner... On the gospel mission. So let's begin with that first point. Unite around the gospel message. Look again in your Bibles to verses 14 and 15. And concerning you, my brethren, that's very personal, very relational. I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But he's saying, I've still written you very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again, to remind you again. Now, what's going on here? Paul is affirming that the Romans are filled with gospel maturity. They're full of goodness. That's the character. And they are filled with all knowledge. They know the content of the gospel. Maturity, listen, maturity is seen when disciples and churches know the gospel, full of knowledge, and live the gospel, full of moral goodness. Here's the mark of maturity for all of us here this morning. How you live does not counter what you profess. And what you profess shapes how you live. And the Romans had both of these together, and Paul was very confident of of this. Now, why does Paul affirm their maturity? Why does he say, look, let me tell you, I know who you are. Well, think about it. First of all, Paul didn't plant this church, and yet he spent what we would see as chapters, 16 chapters preaching the gospel to a church he had never been at. He had never visited, and yet he had just written these chapters. And can't you think, as? and these letters were all uh, read at one time in churches. So you can imagine the Romans, as this thing's going on, and it's going on, and it's going on. And they're kind of thinking, who does this guy think he is? Does he, does he think we're unsaved? Is this why he's preaching the gospel to us? Does he think we're immature? that, that he needs to exhort the gospel to us? Who does he think he is? We've been saved, planted, and established as mature in Christ without his help or any other apostle. Now, I know the Roman Catholic Church... Uh, says that Peter planted this church, but the historical evidence says neither he or Paul were there. These guys had been, had been planted and had been dis, uh, evangelized and discipled by the Jews that had been dispersed from the persecution in Acts 8. And they were doing quite fine on their own. And Paul is assuring them, hey, I know that. And I am affirming you in your gospel maturity, independent of my own ministry. That's why he says, I myself am confident that you yourselves are mature in Christ. But. He is the apostle to the Gentiles, isn't he? And their church was predominantly Gentile. And it was located in the capital of the Gentile empire. Which brings me to the second reason why he wrote these things. He was saying, look, as the apostle to the Gentiles, I want to put my seal of approval on this significant Gentile church. But how was he going to do it? Was he going to sweep in? And, and, and be a big bully, top down. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. I must approve of you. No, no. He does it through mutual ministry together. How do I know that? Look at Romans 1, 11 through 12. Listen to Romans 1, 11 through 12. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Oh, wait a minute. Do you think we're immature? No. Look at verse 12. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Mutual, exhorting one another. With the gospel. Listen, I can't think, uh, there's few verses in the whole New Testament that better explain our world outreach celebration than that right there. Because these couples are gonna come in and we're gonna gather and we want to have mutual ministry. To one another. We want to impart to them our spiritual gifting and we want to benefit from their spiritual gifting. And together we want to grow more in Christ likeness and our hearts be refreshed in the Lord. You see, Paul is writing to remind the Romans that gospel centrality results in gospel maturity and gospel maturity maintains gospel unity. Because you see, as mature as they were, this church was being threatened with disunity and distraction and drift from the mission of God to reach the nations. You say, how do we know? Even a mature church, listen to me now, Even a mature church can become divided and distracted from the centrality of God and His gospel. Like what things? Well, in the book of Romans, Jew versus Gentile. What about America? Christians. Democrat versus Republican. Homeschool versus public school. Red versus blue versus purple. Black versus white, yellow versus brown, even the color of the rainbow can become divisive in a church. Divided in Romans, whether you ate meat or didn't eat meat, whether you drank or you didn't drink. And now in in our current, current culture, whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask, whether you vote for this person or another person. Divided today by whether you say the right words in the right way at the right time. Whether you stand or kneel or sit. All of these things, folks, can divide and distract the body of Christ from the centrality of the gospel. Are you with me? Listen, when we are divided by such things. And let me tell you, the issues involved are important. They involve health, they involve equality, and ju- those are important issues. But when we let the peripheral ways of dealing with them divide and distract us, we begin to drift from the centrality of the gospel, and we lose our unity in the gospel, and we become less mature in the gospel. And God's mission is lost. Folks, God's mission is lost. Listen, so Paul is reminding them, and this word for remind is a strong word. It's like remind and keep reminding. Reminding this mature church that gospel centrality is essential to both their maturity and their unity. And what's at stake is that if you lose sight of that, you begin to drift from the mission to advance the gospel to the nations. So what does that mean for us? How can we make sure that we remain united around the gospel message? Well, Paul tells us, just like he told them, gospel maturity will maintain gospel unity by doing three things. And here's the first one, by explaining the gospel. We've got to know the gospel well enough to explain the gospel, not only to the lost, but to one another, okay? They were filled with all knowledge, knowledge in what God had done and is doing and has yet to do in and through Christ in the gospel. Now, listen, many of you would say, if I said, raise your hand, do you know the gospel? Probably many of you would raise your hand. But if I said, now come up and explain the gospel, I'd probably have less participation, okay? But here's the reality. You don't know the gospel if you can't explain the gospel to other people. You say, well, how, how well do I have to explain it? Well, Romans 1 through 16 is your goal. Romans 1 through 16, you're like, whoa, I'm not a theologian, I'm not a scholar. No, remember, the listen, here's the deal. For many of us, we are introduced to the gospel as John 3.16. We were introduced to the gospel as the Romans Road. Four verses out of this letter linked together. And that is the gospel. And it is sufficient to save. But the gospel is like a little acorn. And it's a little acorn that the Holy Spirit plants into the heart of lost, blind, deaf, lame people like us. And that little acorn of the gospel is to grow into a mighty oak of knowledge of the gospel. You say, how much? Well, like the whole book of Romans. No, let me even make it bigger, like the whole Bible. Because ultimately, the entire Bible is the gospel from Genesis 3.15 all the way to Revelation. Listen, you don't grow out of the gospel. The gospel is not something just when you get saved. You don't grow out of the gospel. The gospel grows you into greater knowledge of this ever-expanding, wonderful thing that God has done through His Son by His Spirit. Now, one way, simple way to explain the gospel that I like to use is God's position, our condition, Christ's provision your conversion, and then a new creation. And if I had time, I'd take you through Romans and show you how he can take, all of that can be explained. But listen, it's not enough to explain the gospel. We need to, number two, we need to experience the gospel. You see, you haven't really understood the gospel until it changes you. And you are full of moral goodness. This word for goodness is unique, it's interesting, it's it's only used by Paul, and one of the other times it's used, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. This isn't something we manufacture, we accept Christ and then work at getting better and being a gooder person. No, it's something that the Spirit produces in us through the gospel. But listen, it's not we don't know the gospel as we should until it's changing us from the inside out. It's not enough to explain the gospel to others. We need to experience it for ourselves. The gospel grows us into Christ-like maturity and unity. But how does that happen in our church? Well, here's the third way. By exhorting one another with the gospel. So... You, you know it well enough to explain it, and you begin to experience it. And here's what Paul really says is the mark of maturity. When you as a church are admonishing, exhorting one another with the gospel, when we each get out of line, when we begin to drift, when we become divided, we bring one another back to the gospel. Now this word for admonish is where we get this idea of newthetic counseling. Maybe you've heard of that, maybe you haven't. It's the Greek word, and it means more than just teaching and instructing. It involves confronting. It involves rebuking. It involves correcting. All those things that we as individualists in America, we don't like doing except through the safety of social media. We're pretty good at that. But in a loving community, we are to be exhorting one another with the gospel. Listen, mature disciples in churches exhort one another with the gospel when they get out of line, when they begin begin to drift, and when they become distracted or divided. You see, parents are to exhort their kids in the gospel. Spouses are to exhort one another in the gospel. And as a member of LifeBridge, you have the responsibility to exhort pastors and members, one another, mutual exhortation to grow in the gospel. And so the first essential to advance in the gospel is this. You've got to unite around the gospel message. But doing so is never an end in itself. God doesn't intend for us to be a little holy huddle of right doctrine and right living and and condemning and judging the rest of the world from our little hideaway until Jesus comes back. No, the gospel unity is so that we can partner on the gospel mission. And that's the second part of this passage. Look again at verse 15 in your Bibles. I've written very boldly for you on some points so as to remind you again, and here's why. Because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel that's from God and about God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's so much rich stuff here, and I'll be honest with you, I don't fully understand all that's going on here, but here's what I know, that Paul is using Old Testament imagery to picture the partial fulfillment, I believe, of Isaiah 66, 18 through 20, that passage that I read as our call to worship. Paul uses five words here in this passage Connected to the Old Testament priesthood and sacrifices, in order to picture his apostolic ministry as a Jewish Christian, part of that remnant that Isaiah predicted, who is going to the nations and telling them of the glories of God so that he can lead them into God's coming kingdom. That's amazing. Isaiah ends his massive uh, prophecy, 66 chapters, often called the fifth gospel, with this prediction that at the end of the age, a Jewish remnant would be saved and would lead the Gentile nations into Messiah's kingdom so that they could see his glory and worship him. It's all there in what I read in Isaiah 66. I have come to gather all nations and languages. They will come and see my glory. The coast, and he, he lists all these nations, Tarshish, Putt, Lud, Tubal, Javan, and the coast and the islands far, far away, who have not heard about me or seen my glory. And this Jewish remnant will proclaim my glory among the nations. Now, you've got to know your... Your Bible history, what happens is, Israel was supposed to do that, and they failed. And yet, God sent His Son, a Jewish carpenter. And Jesus, who was truly God and truly man, fulfilled what Israel failed to do. He lived the life that we all should live. And he died to pay the debt that we all owe to God, but we cannot pay. And he rose as the victorious king over death, depravity, and and and, and, and the devil. And he is seated at the right hand as God's Messiah, Israel's King. And he has been given all authority in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. And he can grant salvation this morning to whoever will come in humble repentance and faith and say, I can't do this on my own. I need forgiveness. I have shame that I am drowning in shame. I cover my guilt. I'm medicating myself with pleasures and drugs and entertainment. I can't move. I, I'm enslaved to my sin. But you're the king, you can set me free. And so Jesus has rescinded and he's calling a remnant from Israel and he's calling the Gentiles like you and I and he's building his church and he's sending his church out to partially fulfill what Israel was supposed to do and what Israel would one day do at the second coming. But between the first coming and the second coming, we the church, Jew and Gentile, are sent out to the nations to tell... Of the glory that we just sang about. You say, Chris, are you sure this is what's happening? Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm still a little shaky on some of this, okay? I'm working through this just like you are. But listen to this. Remember those nations in Isaiah 66? Listen. Listen to this. They they just sound like names. And I didn't know what they meant either. I have to study those things. You know where the first nation, Tarshish, you know where that nation is located? Spain, Spain, and then you know where Putt and Lud are. They're most likely in Africa, down in the south. Spain in the west, Africa in the south. You know where Tubal was? It was in the northeast. You know where Javen is? In the Middle East, Turkey, a country that we're going to emphasize this month. Turkey in the Middle East. And you know where the distant islands are? They are far, far away in a galaxy. No, no. At the edge of the earth, the unreached to the ends of the earth. You know what Isaiah is predicting? Is that one day God's people would cover the four points of the map. But Spain is the one in the west. I believe that Paul, as a Jewish believer, as a Jewish Christian saw his appointment as apostle to the Gentiles as partially fulfilling this prediction of a Jewish remnant going to the nations. Now someday the nation of Israel, Christ will come back. He will save the whole nation. And the nation of Israel will lead the nations of the earth into Jesus' kingdom on earth. And then comes the new creation. So what does this have to do with us? Well, just like the Church of Rome, we get to get in on the action, folks. We, just like the Church of Rome, we can partner with God like Paul and proclaim the glory of God to the unreached in hard places. Man, this is a glorious thing. Listen, God has already now begun to fill this prophecy in Christ and through His church, but one day He's going to completely fulfill it through the nation of Israel at His second coming, and in between, we get to get in on the action of advancing the glory of God in hard places during hard times. In other words, we get to partner with the Trinity on His gospel mission. Now, this week, we're going to talk about partnering with missionaries like Paul and with these three couples. We're going to talk about partnering with missionaries. God uses means. And we're going to talk about partnering as churches. Uh, We're a church. When you give to this church, your giving, your praying is combined by God with like-minded churches, and together we partner as churches. But the thing that we sometimes forget is this. Our ultimate partner in this, and we are junior partners, is we partner with the Trinity on His mission. And that's what. if there's one thing I know about this passage, there's a lot I don't know, but if there's one thing I know is that if you look in this passage, it's the Trinity that is fulfilling the mission, and we just come alongside. Do you see it there? So let me give it to you. Partnering with the Trinity on his gospel mission. Folks, this month is an invitation to partner with God the Father by his grace. Paul says, look, I'm doing all this by the grace given to me by God the Father. Grace is the power and desire to do His will, and His will is for us to be on mission with Him to advance the gospel in hard places. It's His gospel. He sent it, and He sent His Son to fulfill it. It's about Him. It's from Him. It's from His grace. Secondly, we get to partner with God the Son in His work. Oh, greatest danger is to think, Our ministry is my ministry. The only thing worse than that is not to have a ministry in this church. To not be partnering with Christ in what he's doing. We partner with God the Son in his work. Paul says, I'm a minister, which the word means I'm a servant. I'm under him. This is his work. Jesus is the gospel. It's who he is and it's what he did and we come alongside, or better yet, He works in and through us to do His work. And then thirdly, we partner with God the Spirit in His power. Paul says, look, the only reason I can offer Gentile converts up to God in a way that's pleasing to him is because his spirit came down and planted the word of the gospel into their hearts and transformed them from unclean into clean. From enslaved to free in Christ. From from self-oriented to other-oriented It's the work of the Holy Spirit that gave them the knowledge to their blind minds. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that filled them with Christ-like goodness in their hard hearts, just like ours, just like ours. So, beloved, here are the two essentials for advancing the gospel message. We've got to unite around the gospel message and not what is ripping our country and culture apart. Listen, only we have this good news. And when we lower ourselves, so to speak, and get into the mud slinging, and get into the me versus then, we lose. We lose. And so let's unite around the gospel message so that we can partner with the Trinity On the gospel mission. So let me end with this. Here's the challenge. It's in your notes. Grow in unity around the gospel. Folks, learn to explain it. Do you know it well enough to explain it? Begin to experience it. Maybe you made a profession many years ago when you were a kid. Or maybe it was just a few years ago. But your life hasn't changed. Your life hasn't changed. The gospel is not shaping you. You need to go back and ask, did I receive it? And if I did, do I need to repent? And then commit to exhorting one another with the gospel. I think we could all grow in that. Amen? And then ultimately, this week, let's enter into this week realizing we're partnering with the Trinity in all that we do. Let's pray, Father, we come to you and uh, what you're doing through redemptive history, what you're doing among the nations, uh, we're getting distracted, Lord, we're distracted, and uh, it doesn't seem the distractions are coming and the division uh, it's entering churches, pastors are resigning, people are living for leaving churches to find a church that would identify with their political preferences. Lord Jesus, help us to be united and help us to partner more than ever this month with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to get the gospel to the unreached. We pray this, Lord. And if any of us need to adjust, need to repent, then may we repent so that what we believe is consistent with how we live. And how we live adorns the gospel we say we believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, at this time we uh, want to take, uh, well we're not taking, you giving your offering. We want to worship the Lord in giving. And after you see what he has given to us, uh, we want to give out of generous hearts. So whether you're giving online or using the envelope in the offering box in the back, Drop that in. Let me encourage you. Your offering is an acceptable sacrifice unto the Lord. And and then if you need help, let us know because we are here to, to help as well. And we have resources and we want to go through this together. Let me close with this benediction. And it's from Romans 15, 13, right before the passage. And here it is. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. You're dismissed.